Hello everyone. We have uh, just a few days left here in 2020. I'm Michael Moore and this is Rumble. Thank you for joining me today's podcast. It, um, it was 130 years ago today, uh, on December 29th, 1890, that the United States Army conducted a massacre of the native peoples of this land, the Indians, at uh, Wounded Knee in South Dakota. Uh, it's considered by historians the last of the, uh, what they call the Indian Wars, but what I call the, the, um, the planned execution and genocide of the Indian people, the native people of this land. And uh, so it's considered the last of the, quote, battles. It wasn't really a battle. They had uh, rounded up um, uh, the Lakota people of this tribe, South Dakota. Uh, they had arrested a sitting bull, and while arresting him, they shot and killed him uh, just a, a week or two before this day. And uh, they, they, the army was freaking out because the Indians were doing this ghost dance. Right? And so they wired back to Washington, D.C. that uh, and, and the natives were restless and they were dancing around in colorful shirts. And the purpose of the dance was to, um, as the Indians put it, uh, was to restore the earth, return the buffalo, and make the white people disappear. That right there made Washington wire back and say, whoa, you got to stop that. Um, arrest them, do whatever you have to do. So um, that's what the that's what the cavalry did. That's what the army did. Um, they we're talking about a few hundred people here that are mostly old men, women, and children. And Sitting Bull, who was their chief, now dead. Um, so his brother takes over, uh, chief of Bigfoot, and um, he wants to get his people out of harm's way here because he sees that the soldiers are just going crazy, and so um, he decides to try to. Um, have them all walk. This is the dead of winter, by the way. It's 30 below zero. Walk to the Pine Ridge uh, Reservation where he believes they're going to be, they'll be safe. And so he carries a white flag on this journey, a white flag, so that nobody will shoot them. All they want to do is go there. But the, the soldiers catch up to them and they say, no, 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 no. And they, they pen them all in on, this, on the banks of Wounded Knee Creek there in South Dakota. They take all whatever weapons were left that the Indians might have had. They take anything that they had. They took it away from them. So they were unarmed. And then a scuffle broke out between uh, one of the soldiers, I think one, one of the Indians. And the soldier um, fires his gun, which all the other soldiers then think, oh, it's time to fire our guns. So they all start spraying bullets. And, um, and they, they massacre somewhere between 250 and 300 old men, women, and children, and then dig a big ditch and shove them all in the ditch. Um, I have pictures of this on my Facebook site. It's Facebook slash MM Flint. 130 years ago today, the so-called victory of our, you know, after 400 years, almost 400 years of Europeans um, executing, murdering, killing uh, the native people of this land, 
it comes to a quote end. Of course, it never really came to an end because um, the genocide can, continued in other ways, the, taking children away from their parents and sending them far away to, Indi- quote, quote, Indian schools, uh, the raping and killing of Indian women, on and on and on. Uh, to this day, frankly, uh, the genocide continues. Um, but but the full force of the U.S. Army committing these official acts of having official battles or whatever they call them, that came to an end officially on this day in 1890, 130 years ago. And I'm bringing this up. I know you all, Mike, come on. I thought this was the, uh, we're getting ready for New Year's here. Uh, lift our spirits. But I think, believe me, I want that more than anybody, but I, I also I believed for a long time, and you've heard me say this, that, that we can't really get to the good spot until we're willing to accept how we even got here to begin with. And we, as Americans, got here. We founded, this country is founded on genocide and then built on the backs of slaves, millions of slaves who built this country, built this economy, and we, came, we became a significant world economic power because we didn't have to pay for labor. So I just think, I'm sorry, to, I'm always bringing this up, I know, but you know, I'm sorry, white people. Um, if we don't own this, and if we don't fix this, then we're, we're kidding ourselves if we think 2021 or 2022 is going to be any different than 2020. It really broke open this year, and you can't put it back in the bottle. You can't just cover over the wound think it's going to go away because now we know it, it won't and it shouldn't until we fix these things. There's a great book, if you haven't read it, called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Um, by, the author is D. Brown, D-E-E Brown. Um, it's still in print. I encourage you to get a copy at the library or get it online. It's a powerful book that tells the truth of what we did to the Indians. And in the book ends with this very very powerful chapter and story of of these last days in in December of eighteen ninety during Christmas week. It's you know it's how white people how we like it's how we celebrate. We certainly have seen that this week, haven't we? Nashville, Rockford, elsewhere. I, I went to um I wanted to look up some of the information about the Nashville bombing, so I just typed in Christmas Christmas bombing. And up came Nashville. And the second thing there on Google was Christmas bombing, 1972. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Christmas week, 1972, from December 18th to December 29th today, President Richard Nixon ordered the largest mass bombing that the United States had done since World War II, Um, 2000. Bombers, jets, B-52s, bombing North Vietnam relentlessly. 20,000 tons of bombs on civilian populations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, they always make sure they cover their ass by having a, quote, military target or two. But killed a lot of people. It was getting near the end of the war, too. There already the Paris peace talks were taking place. And yet Nixon wanted to get in one big, massive bomb drop and kill more Vietnamese. By that time, we had killed close to 2 million Vietnamese 
in the Vietnam War. We, done in our name, with our tax dollars. So, um, so it was, it was called the Christmas bombing because really what is, what better way is it to celebrate the birth of the baby Jesus than to drop bombs on civilian populations. That's what we did in 1972. At that point, it was a good 82 years after wounded knee, different color of people in Vietnam, same idea. It's not really human life. It's not white. We dropped more bombs on, on Vietnam during the Vietnam War than we did in Germany during, during World War II. I mean, we just carpet bombed Vietnam, North Vietnam, South Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, all of Southeast Asia. It's just awful. So that's what came up on Google for Christmas bombing, not just the bombing of in Nashville this Christmas, but the um, Vietnam, 1972. Nashville. I don't know if you've ever if you've ever been there. It's really a wonderful town. Mm. Good people. It's a creative town. It's a town full of artists. Of course, music. This part of downtown where the um, the RV is blown up. Um, it's. Um, I, I've always liked Nashville. I, I actually one number of years ago. I went to. I wanted to just go someplace to write, and I decided to go to Nashville. Um, and just got a room there and, uh, and wrote uh, 50, I think 56 pages of a screenplay that still sits in the drawer. Anybody like that? Have you started anything, like any project, something maybe that's still sitting in the drawer? It's a new year. You can open the drawer. I, I'm looking over at the drawer right now. I can see it. <laughs> that on the New Year's resolution list. Now, I really like, I really, and the, the bars and the, the honky tonks and the, all the music there in Nashville and that. And that in that downtown area, it was really, I enjoyed hanging out there. I would go and sit in the, uh, they, they've got like a, they built a, a fake Parthenon, like, the, you know, in Greece, in their their big park there in Nashville, there's this Parthenon. If you've seen the movie Nashville, Robert Altman film, great movie, if you've never seen it. Um, the climax of the film takes place at this political rally at the Parthenon in the park there in uh, Nashville. So I would, I would go there during the day and I would just, kind of sit there on the steps of the Parthenon as I was writing. It was just, I don't know why I thought that would help, but it was kind of cool. And um, maybe I was just trying to channel some of the spirit of Robert Altman with that great, great film. But um, I don't know. Just a, And then and then um, tour, speaking tour I went on during the 2004 election. We all went to, to Nashville and um, I forgot what school asked me to come, but they had to move it to the hockey arena in town, the, the NHL hockey arena. 8,000 people came out just to hear me speak um, in, um, in Nashville, where, you know, where the, their team plays, the Predators, the hockey team. And, um, and you know, <laughs> of course, what I also remember about that night is it's one of the probably, I don't know, five or six times that year, first year, first year and a half of the Iraq War, the year after I gave that Oscar speech, uh, which, you know, a lot of people to do harm to me. And there were half a dozen attempts on my life. Um, I'm not talking about death threats. I used to wish that I would just have these death threats. But um, there were five or, six, five or six occasions when people came at me um, with a weapon. And one of those times was there on that. I was speaking on the stage there 
in the hockey arena, and some guy leapt up on the stage with a knife. And again, the security were so great. Uh, I had back then, and they were they grabbed the guy before he got to me, and they flung him off the stage onto the cement floor below, and like in front of the first row. And they went down handcuffs on him, and I went on with what I was doing. But yeah, man, there was just a lot of that then. It, Nashville was one of the locations where that happened. Uh, it happened to me in Portland, Oregon. Not the place you'd think. Somebody was going to harm me. Guy, again, a guy leapt up on the stage. New York City was another spot. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And then there was this guy from Rockford, Illinois. Um, I've been to Rockford before, too. Rockford's, we call it like the Flint of Illinois. Flint, Flint, Michigan. Money Magazine used to do this article every year about where's the worst place to live in the U.S. And, you know, Flint had been named by Money Magazine for years and years in a row as the worst place to live. Shitty sort of distinction. And then finally, Rockford, Illinois, took over one year as the worst place. (laughs) We all loved Rockford. But when I was making my film, the big one, I was on tour, and we filmed the tour, and we knew that the Cheap Trick the band lived there. And so we just went and knocked on the door um, of uh, one of the band members, and Rick, and, we, uh, and he answered the door. So we went in there and played guitars and had a good time that night. So I, I, you know, I'd had these, I always had good feelings about Rockford in general until um, this uh, individual, young, young, Young man, 19, I think. He'd been attending a number of meetings, of, I think a right-wing group or whatever. And um, uh, one night, uh, he was, I think he was cleaning his AK-47 and the gun went off accidentally. And uh, a neighbor heard it and called the police and the police came. And they went inside his apartment and there was um, an arsenal of weapons and bomb-making materials and... Uh, Looked like he was building a fertilizer bomb. And this is where I come into the story. I get a call from, again, one of my old security guys that were protecting me in that year or two. And um, said, well, I got some news for you here. This, uh, they just arrested this guy in, in uh, Rockford. And he um, um, has a diary. And in the diary, he's planning to blow up your house in Michigan. And, and there's a page in the diary with like a big letters at the top, it says hit list. And then the names of the people that are, I guess were on his hit list. And the first name was yours truly, Michael Moore. The second name was Janet Reno. Remember her, the Bill Clinton's attorney general. The third name was Rosie O'Donnell. The fourth name was Hillary Clinton. And it was at that point, and of course, this is my nervousness, you know, where my sense of humor is trying to protect me. <laughs> hearing news like this so i just i just said to the to the security guy um wow uh that, so let me get this straight how did i make the lesbian list i mean not that there's anything wrong with that in fact i'm honored that i to be included but i'm at the top i'm, I'm the top name on the list of, of lesbians now before anybody writes me i guess we know hillary is not a lesbian but that's how the right wing like to always talk about her so of course i'm dissing them by saying that. I hope you understand how the humor works. Anyways, that's what, that's what I said. So he was um, 
tried and convicted and uh, went to federal prison, I believe. And I, I think he got help there because when he got out, um, he was a seemed, he was a changed person from what I was told and ended up raising a family and over these last 15 years and good citizen in the community and all that. And I was happy to hear all of that. It's good, good news. And, um, but that's the kind of, that's, you know, what I was having to go through in the life I was living. And that's, so this um, weekend, when I heard about the Green Beret, his name is Duke, Duke Webb, Green Beret Duke Webb, um, decided to uh, come into the Don Carter bowling alley in Rockford, Illinois, and just started spraying bullets and killing anybody in sight. He killed three, all senior citizens, and then wounded, shot another three, two of them teenagers, a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, shot in the face, uh, who are they're still alive. Um, police came and they arrested him because as you know, I don't have to fill in all the blanks of the story here that, um, if it's a white person <laughs> that is doing the shooting and killing people, you as a police officer, or, or you do not kill them. You arrest them. Same thing that happened to the kid down in Charleston, South Carolina, goes into the black church, kills at least nine of them, I think. And then eventually is arrested and, you know, you just put him in handcuffs, take him to jail. I think in his case, I think they, didn't they stop at Burger King to, because he, he said he was hungry. They stopped and got him some lunch. White kid. Okay, Mike. Yeah. But, but, but where's the happy new year? Happy new year. Come on. Come on. Come on. We, we, we know this. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah, I know, but it, there's just, it, it's every day. It's does it's nonstop. What about on the news? here yesterday, where they've had to admit, when they gave the first dose, in the, in the first shot in the arm in, on December 14th, two weeks ago, and they said that they were going to do 20 million of those by the end of December. By the end of the first week, they'd only done a, a million, and now the second week here, they say they're up to 2 million. All right, can you do the math, folks? If they stay at this rate... There's 300 million people in this country. How long will it take? And remember, especially if it's Pfizer or the Moderna uh, vaccine, it's got to be two shots, three or four weeks apart. So if we're gonna if we're gonna vaccinate a million a week, 300 minutes, 300 weeks. How many years is 300 weeks? Go ahead. That's right. It's six years. We won't have even the first dose of this done for six years. If they add in the second dose, what is going on? This is madness. The doctors on the TV news last night were saying, we've got a problem, Houston. This is, this is not going to go well. Because we also don't know how long the shot will last. Is it like the flu shot? Is it like a different kind? Does it, will the immunity last for three months, three years, a lifetime? It's a new virus. We don't know. And one of the doctors last night said, look, folks, this is, I just have to say this. This should not, this vaccination uh, program is being run by private profit-making corporations. And their first interest is to their shareholders and their bottom line, their profits. Why are they the ones in charge of this? Joe Biden, I know you're listening. And all of you, the Bidenettes, 
who are moving to D.C. with them. All of you, you know this is wrong. I heard Biden say the other day, um, we've got a, um, what's that called? The Defense Procurement Act. Yeah. Uh, where where the president just says, fuck it. Uh, I'm taking this over. You're making you're that factory, that factory, and that factory. It's making the vaccine. We're going to do it right. We're going to make sure it's safe. We know Trump was rushing it because he was trying to get reelected. So his motives and the pushing that he was doing and the threatening he was doing to the FDA head uh, didn't look good from any of our vantage points back in October and early November. So, um, so we need this being run by our U.S. government that's not being run on the profit motive. And, and we have got to step things up, folks. This is messed up. We're at 2 million here at the end of the year. And we were told back earlier in December, we'd be at 20 million, 20 million by New Year's Eve. So, yeah, I'm, I, I, I know, I know I'm like, it's just like one series of bummers after another here, but it's, you can't look at it that way. You got to look at it like you got to have some fight in you and you've got to make your voice heard. And that, that, do I sound depressed? This isn't, you can't do that when you're depressed. You can't fight. You can't fight back if you're wallowing in despair. That's not where I'm at. I'm like, fuck it. Let's get this thing done right. This is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. The way that this is being handled. There's been no leadership. We can't get Biden in there soon enough to protect the people of this country. Trump. Trump the killer. Okay, okay, I know, I know. Mike, I didn't say this was the New Year's show. I mean, can't we plan something for Rumble here for New Year's Eve? I mean, I just, I'm sorry, folks. This is, this is, uh, I, I, I'm just not going to turn my head. That's not my job, you know, and, and, and you know that. And you don't have to listen to this. I, I am going to get to the happy part in a minute, I hope. Um, but it's, um, it's just the level of violence in, in Trump and the way he's handled this was an act of violence against us. Back to Nashville, though. I want to say something about the man who killed him, killed himself, blowing up the RV and creating all the havoc in downtown Nashville. Anthony Warner, 63 years old, an IT fix-it computer kind of guy. We don't know why he did it. Uh, maybe by the time you hear this, we'll know. Maybe there's a note they'll find. I don't know. You know, we what we do know is that his father worked in the AT&T building that he parked the van in front of for many years. So it just could be some sad, crazy, personal thing. Could be a political thing. Um, they're not using the word terrorism yet, again, because why? I'll just go ahead and I'll pause and let you say it. Why? Because he's white, Mike. We don't say terrorism when it's a white kid killing nine black people in a black church in South Carolina. We don't call it, we don't call Nashville this. We don't call it, no, please, please, please. And, you know, and, and really the only way usually that the white guy, the perp, who's white, uh, is going to meet his death is if he takes his own life. Like in Nashville, or the guy in the top floors there, the Las Vegas hotel with his automatic weapons. You got to really, you got to, you got to do yourself in. You don't, don't think the police are going to show up. Look at that kid, the kid 
that shot the people at the Kenosha demonstration, the Black Lives Matter demonstration, the white kid who was from near Rockford, driven there from Illinois. He's holding his hands up. He's like, he's expecting to be arrested. They won't even arrest him. In fact, they offered him a bottle of water. Stay hydrated. When you're killing people, make sure you stay hydrated. No, there's nothing going to happen to him on that night. We already know all this. Unless the kid was going to take the rifle and kill himself, that just wasn't going to happen. And so, Anthony Warner. I'm sure you've already thought of this, and I do not, I'm not saying what I'm going to say here to give him any sort of credit, uh, because he, he put people in jeopardy, and certainly put the police in jeopardy, but it hasn't been lost on me that of all the times that he could have chosen to do this, what's the one hour of the whole year? when there is likely to be nobody on the street. I'd say 5.30 a.m. on Christmas morning. It's a pretty good, pretty good shot right there that it's going to be empty. In fact, he parked that there around 1.30. He parked the RV there and sat in there. And apparently, no police, nobody came and said, what's going on here? I don't know if he was playing his loudspeaker then, but at some point he turned the loudspeaker on and he put a warning there to everybody to get out, get out, get away, get away. This is going to blow up. Evacuate now. Evacuate now. You know, this isn't a, a person who's looking to kill human beings, even though a huge bomb like this is a potential. I mean, people live down there. People could have been killed. But again, you have to go into a mind of a person that's obviously not right. And um, he's trying to, you can see if you watch before the bomb goes off, he's waiting and waiting to make sure no cars are going to come down through the light behind him or whatever. I mean, it's completely empty. And he's playing Petula Clark's Downtown, this big hit from 1964, 65. And... <laughs> Um, I don't know what it means, but, you know, I, maybe we'll play the rest of the song for you here before we're done. So you can just, because the lyrics are quite interesting if you just think about him and this and what was he doing and what was he thinking here and all of that. But it, 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 you know, I don't know how old I was back then, just a little tyke. But um, but that, uh, but you know, Petula Clark, just to, just to let younger people know, was, was um had done a number of things that were actually quite controversial. And um, in, in one case, the NBC had given her a special, our special, and she had Harry Belafonte on as a guest, and they sang a duet together of a song, an anti-war song. This is during Vietnam. Anti-war song. It's at the beginning, actually, of the real involvement of the U.S. in the Vietnam War. Uh, end of 64, beginning of 65. And, and anyway, so she does... Uh, this is this would have been the special would have been I think in '68. Yeah, it was actually it was the week after Martin Luther King was assassinated, and uh, so they do this duet of this anti-war song that she's written at that time, and she at the end of the song reached over and touched his arm and held his arm, it created such a controversy. Chrysler, the main sponsor of the show, ordered it cut from the special. And she and Harry Belafonte said no friggin' way and stood their ground and they fought Chrysler 
and NBC, and eventually NBC not want the bad publicity, I would assume, and and gave in and decided to let this, which I know young people are going, what was the problem again? A white woman touched a black man's arm? Yeah, I know. This is how we had to grow up in this country. So Petula Clark was, uh, she was outspoken. She was anti-war. Um, she um, broke what they called a color barrier on television. How ridiculous is that? Jesus. But she had this huge hit downtown. And the lyrics are advanced, I would say, for that time. So so he's playing downtown on the loudspeaker while it's issuing this warning to evacuate so that nobody is hurt. And nobody was. Oh, there were there were I think three people that were injured by some flying debris, but nobody died. Whew. What? Other craziness is going to happen in the next 24 to 48 hours. I don't like why you don't even, you don't even think about it. I know, but I'm just, can you take any more of this? I mean, really, I mean, just, and look, just because it, it's going to turn into 2021 at midnight on Thursday does not mean this shit's going away. They can't even figure out how to get the vaccine to people. Sorry, I won't bring that up again. But I'm just saying, folks, let's not kid ourselves because we're just going to get more depressed when we realize that the new year is meet the new boss. <laughs> Same as the old boss. I refuse. I refuse to live another year like this. I'm sorry. So so what are we going to do about that? Because I, I got a feeling a lot of you agree with me that... um. Another year of this? No. Sorry. Okay, so what does that mean? Because we don't have like a real say in this because the virus is the one that has the say. And as long as the virus has enough dumbasses who won't wear a mask, who won't social distance, and who won't get vaccinated when we all know it's safe and the right thing to do. Um, so how do we get out of this? Because we need them. I've told people, listen, they all have spouses and mothers and fathers and children, and a number of them are going to die because of their recklessness and because of their belief in Trump that this is a hoax. And they're human beings, and nobody wants to lose their spouse, their kids, their parents. And when enough of them get death, deathly sick and live, but live with no sense of smell or taste, uh, neurological issues, all the stuff now that we're learning that once you've had it, so many people have these lingering effects. And a number of people are going to die. We're, we're at, as I record this today, we're at somewhere like 335,000 dead. Um, and they say by the end of January, it'll be well into the 400,000. So by beginning of February, it'd be half a million dead. So the people that are, you know, are really going to be dying are the ones who've refused to wear a mask, who go into crowds, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe just human, the human desire to survive will be enough and they will put a mask on and they will keep their distance and we will get through this and we will have a better year this coming year. 
wait, what is that? That's it. That's their happy news for today. For today, well, I do believe that though. I do believe we can contain, we can arrest this virus this year. It is possible, but not if the profit motive is is controlling it. Not if if we're now depending on CVS to get the shot to keep the stuff frozen at hundred degrees below zero. Or the, the other one, I guess the one that's at Walgreens and CVS that they, it's still got to be 15 to 25 below zero or the, va- the, the vaccination that you're getting is not going to work. So I don't know, man. Hey, um, maybe I shouldn't say this, but have you ever been into a CVS? No offense, but man, that's, it's not exactly uh, um you know, a hospital that's that's been uh, sanitized and cleaned and uh, not where you're thinking of going to get the shot that might save your life, CVS. Now I heard that Walgreens, they're going to, Walgreens going to, you can get, you know, they're going to get involved in the vaccination process. There's got to be a buck to be made somewhere along the way here. This isn't working. I'm sorry. Our voices must be heard. That's why I'm saying all this to you. Oh, here's some good news. There's an election in Georgia next Tuesday. So if you know anybody in Georgia, if you have family there, if you have friends, former schoolmates, please contact them and remind them to vote. The early voting is going on right now, and it lasts through Friday. Yes, you can vote on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day in Georgia. Early voting. That ends Friday. And, and then... Um, also, Friday is the last day to get an absentee ballot. You can pick up an absentee ballot on Friday, on New Year's Day, and you have until the end of Election Day on Tuesday uh, to turn it in at the voting site or wherever they co- uh, collect uh, absentee ballots in Georgia. So um, there's some hope here, my friends. And I have been working with some people down in Georgia. I've been doing a few things here to help get out the vote. And I can tell you, I have to say, I'm somewhat optimistic here. Not completely, but um, these two Republican senators, Purdue and Leffler, they are so wackadoodle. Um, the people there know it. And all this stuff, how, how Trump, their president, has held up this coronavirus relief. Wow. And he did that in the week before the election. Um, there is a good chance I think we can pull this off. If we do that, we have the Senate, we have the House, we have the White House, and then we can get some things done. Yes, I know, I know. So, you know, Biden is not exactly where a lot of us are at, but that's okay. He's there. He's there. He has a heart. He has a conscience. And let's work with that. Because we would have nothing, nothing to work with if we hadn't defeated Trump. And maybe that... Maybe that's the maybe that's the way to go out here on this podcast to, today is to keep this in mind that you, yes, you and me and millions and millions of others made this happen. We gave Trump the boot. What, what you know how hard it is to remove an incumbent president? Just check your history books. It doesn't happen very often. 
we did this this year, and we did it in a profound and massive way. This is this you should still be feeling good about this since the election. I know you've got all the reasons to not feel good about it, but friends, please, we did something. And if we did that, what else can we do? What else can we do in 2021 to come out of this pandemic as a better people, as a better country? I'm telling you, um, it's, um, no, don't worry. They're not coming for me. Not yet. But let's build on what we did this year. There's more work to do. We don't have a choice. And as I promised you on the last podcast, the reason I've done fewer podcasts in the last couple of weeks is because I've been spending some time putting together my ideas for what Rumble should be doing in 2021. And um, and so in the coming week or so here, I hope to share that with you because I want to invite you to join with me in some of these ideas because uh, I can't do them. I'm just one person. But um, what was the, what's the Public Enemy album years ago? It takes a, a nation of millions to hold us back. We We are a nation of millions and they can't stop us now. So we've got work to do, and I have uh, some ideas on how Rumble can uh, do some of this and what I plan to do in the coming year and some of the organizing we can do. And I I want you to do this with me because in spite of me having to remind you that um, we um, successfully completed our genocide of our Native peoples 130 years ago today and um, reminding you that uh, – uh, white killers have to kill themselves because uh, the police certainly aren't going to do that. Um, Nashville bombing, Christmas bombing in 1972, all the stuff I've been talking about here today. Um, but I, you must hear this in my voice, right? You, you know that I'm a big believer in the fact that, that we can affect serious change here in 2021. We can save ourselves from this virus and we can get on with the work that we need to do. Who is with me on this? Come on. Okay. I mean, can I hear a woot woot out there? And and I know, and the people who are listening to this from other countries in Canada, um, <laughs> I know just, you gotta, you gotta just stay with me here. I, I love the fact that you listen in on this conversation I'm having with my fellow Americans. Uh, we love you, too. We know our effect on the rest of the world, and we know our responsibility to fix the mess that's been created here and there. So we will do that. Um, so anyways, let's let's end it right there, and let me uh, encourage you uh, to uh, stick with me here. I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back in the next uh, a couple days either. If it's not New Year's Eve, it'll be New Year's Day, I think. Um, uh, something because I want to. I really want to. I want to get off on the right foot here, and I want to do it with you. So I need. I need you to do it with me, and um, um, and I'll throw. I'll throw out some ideas and things that I think we can do, and and maybe maybe use our Rumble Nation here. Geez, twenty-two million downloads in our first year here. Unbelievable, uh, the amount of you out there who are listening and downloading and sharing and all this. Continue to do that. Please share this with other people. And um, 
and I think we've got uh, some good things in store for you in the coming year. So I'll talk to you real soon here. And um, um, please be safe. Stay strong. Good will win out over evil. We saw that back in November. More of that, right? More of that. Let's put on Petula Clark. And um, I'll play the whole I'll play the whole song for you. Um, so you can listen to and maybe wonder what was going on there. And maybe maybe in listening to these lyrics uh, too, you can think a little bit about it, about each other and how we have to be there for each other. There is no other way. Thanks everybody. Talk to you soon. I'm Michael Moore, and this is Rumble. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown, just listen to the Some little places to go to where